Lord, I pray as we prepare our hearts to hear from your word, that we would come ready, Lord. That you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive, ready to hear what you have to say today, Lord. I thank you for the gift of your son, that you sent him to become a man, to die for us on the cross, Lord, the creator of the world. That is an amazing gift. In your name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Great report um, coming out of the Philippines from the folks down there. Uh, 136 people got saved yesterday from the crew there. Everybody landed in Guatemala safe. The crews went over to Eastern Oregon, to Monument, to Halfway, um, to Ukiah. Everybody's off. So we're thankful for your prayers on that. And I have the privilege this morning of introducing you to uh, Timothy, Dr. Timothy Lane. And we're so glad you're here. And his wife, Barb, came out from Georgia. We're thankful. He's going to be preaching this morning, both services. And then we welcome you to be able to come back tonight. He has a book out uh, called Unstuck. And tonight we'll be focused on that, true? And so if you'd like to come back, we are going to be up in the chapel tonight. If you want to come back and hear him again, it will be different tonight. Um, here's the thing. I'm going to read what this says so you can have a little taste of who he is. Dr. Tim Lane is the founder and president of the Institute of Pastoral Care and Tim Lane and Associates, a counseling practice located in Peachtree, Georgia. And, and obviously, uh, as we have Barb with us, they also have four grown children and grandchildren. We got to get to know them a little bit yesterday in the drive down, and it's, it's wonderful to have you here. So I'm going to welcome Timothy, Dr. Timothy Lane up. Here's what I'd like to do. Can I pray for you? We're so thankful. What a blessing. You two are gems, and uh, just the conversations we were having yesterday. Um, you're in for a treat. Let's pray with him. Heavenly Father, thank you. We thank you for this man and what you've laid on his heart to bring to us. Flow through him. Guide him in the, in the word being presented today. We're thankful for them making it out here, and we're thankful for all the reports coming in from all over the world where you have our folks. Thank you that you're saving souls. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here with you and uh, having interacted with Peter for a good while. I think this conversation may have started a year ago before I was planning to come out here today. And so I'm thankful for the invite, thankful for your pastors. Um, I always say this because I was a pastor for 10 years. Don't take your pastors for granted, especially if they're good pastors. <laughs> All right. Those are the ones that you can take for granted the most. Uh, encourage them and uh, pray for them. I've just enjoyed the time I've gotten to know Matt and his wife, Lori. Barbara and I have uh, just enjoy being here, so thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at uh, a passage this morning that will tie in nicely with your series. Uh, you have been looking at Second Peter, and um, uh, you don't have to turn there because I'm going to have you turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to use a passage in Ephesians to unpack this one part of Second Peter. Um, in verse 5, it says, Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. I think that was the second of 
three sermons so far, or two on the, so far on this passage, but then he goes on to say, uh, not only moral excellence, but in your moral excellence, knowledge. So that's what we want to think about this morning. What does it mean to add to your faith knowledge? So turn to Ephesians 5, and we're going to be looking at a very, very obscure passage, and I hope this morning as we look at it, you will walk away and it will be obscure no longer. You will be able to understand the passage, but not only that, you will understand its application to your personal life, but beyond that, it would lead you to adore and worship Jesus, our Redeemer. That's what we want. That's what a good sermon does. It it explains the passage, it applies it, but ultimately it points you to Christ because that's where the dynamic exists if you're going to apply it to your life, if you're going to grow in grace. There's a worship dynamic, an adoration dynamic that we need as we look at the scriptures, as we understand them, as we apply them. It's the dynamic that we've been singing about in the songs this morning. I put it this way. Obedience doesn't lead to God's acceptance of you. Your acceptance by God, Father, Son, and Spirit, what Jesus has done for you and your life, death, through his life, death, and resurrection, ascension, sending of the Spirit, present intercession, promised return, all of that is what leads to obedience. Your acceptance, that's the foundation. And that's what we've been celebrating this morning. Now we want to talk about how do we take that, that joy and that gratitude and that humility and that, that experience of God's grace and how do we work it out in our lives. That's always the thrust of Scripture. And that's, in fact, what Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians. Uh, big picture for a moment. Ephesians chapters 1, 2, 3. This is God's grace for you. This is how it's been accomplished. Here are all the blessings and benefits. Chapter 4, Paul begins to talk about, now here's how you're to live that out in your life. Grace leads to obedience. It leads to a changed life. Um, When you look at uh, chapter 4 and uh, a good part of chapter 5, what Paul is doing is he's, he's developing different metaphors to think about, well, what does it look like to live out this Christian life, to grow in obedience that's rooted in the gospel? And I won't, I won't bore you with all the details here, but if you look at chapter 4, verses 17 through 21, Paul talks about living the Christian life is like old things re- being replaced by new things. That's a metaphor he uses. The second one he uses is in chapter 4, 25 through 5, 7. Truth is being replaced with lies, or truth is replacing lies, all right? Lies are being replaced by truth. The third thing he talks about in in chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, is darkness is being replaced by light, all right? Those are the metaphors. And then he gets to chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. This is what we're going to look at this morning, wisdom replacing folly, Wisdom, that's just another word for knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom is replacing foolishness and folly. And then in chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, he talks about how the, the sobriety that comes to us as we, as we come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, as we are intoxicated by the Holy Spirit, it leads to a life of sobriety. Isn't that a nice metaphor that he uses there? We're going to focus on five Uh, 15 through 17. So let me read this passage and then we'll dive in. You have outlines in your bulletin. Here is the passage, uh, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Therefore, 
And that's hearkening all the way back to chapters 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, in light of who you are now in Christ, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right, this is God's word. Let's pray and ask him to work in our hearts and minds this morning. Father, thank you for uh, this church, this local expression of your body, people that you have rescued out of darkness, uh, rescued out of uh, falsehood and lies, rescued in so many ways. Uh, we thank you for, for what you have done in them. Thank you that, that I can be here participating in worship and celebrating your grace along with them. We pray this morning that, that you would help us to be able to pay attention enough so that we can not only understand this passage, not only understand how relevant it is to our daily lives, but Father, that when we look at this passage going forward for the rest of our lives, we would always see Jesus. It would connect us to Christ in a more vital and real way. Uh, that's our simple but humble prayer we, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's look at this passage piece by piece. And what I want to do, first of all, is just talk about what, what wisdom is. So in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, that, that, that verse 5, knowledge, the w Greek word there is gnosis or epinosis. In Ephesians chapter 5, the word Sophia is used in Greek. So there are different words in Greek that are used to talk about uh, knowledge or wisdom, uh, but always uh, lurking behind these, Old these New Testament passages is the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, when it talks about wisdom, it uses a particular word in Hebrew, and that, that word is literally translated skill. So when you think about knowledge... When you think about wisdom, the biblical writers are always talking about the same thing. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just more information. That's good, but that's just the beginning. It's knowledge that sinks down into our lives and we apply it and we apply it skillfully so that we live the Christian life with more skill. All right? That's, that's the image. So um, think about uh, Exodus 31. There were these Guys named Bezalel and Aholiab. If I were renaming my kids, I'd name them Bezalel and Aholiab. Those are, those are cool names, aren't they? Um, they were gifted by God to build the tabernacle. And it says they were given the spirit of wisdom. Well, what does that mean? They were given skill. And what was that skill used to do? They use that skill to bring wood and textile and colors and precious jewels, all of those things to bring together in a skillful way because they were artisans. They use that skillfulness, that skill, to bring all of that together to build the tabernacle so that something beautiful emerged. So they were given the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of skill. You and I have been given the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of skillfulness so that what? You can take the truth from Scripture and you can apply it more skillfully to your lives so that you live the Christian life with more skill. It's very, very practical here. Uh, wisdom is living the life with skillfulness. 
Um, and, and being able to, to put together all the different things that are part of your lives, your pr- public life and your private life, right? To skillfully to be able to have integrity, wholeness, um, work and leisure, work and family, living in Christian community, living in the world, bringing all of these things together in such a way that something beautiful emerges. And ultimately, what, what you want to emerge more and more on a daily basis is that you more and more are being conformed into the very likeness of Jesus himself. That's the beautiful thing that you want to emerge. You can't do that if you can't apply the scriptures with skill to your life and, and manage all those other areas of your life with skill. So wisdom... And knowledge and growing in wisdom and growing in knowledge is growing in this skillfulness, this not head knowledge, but practical application of the gospel to your life and the way that God wants you to walk in ways that please him. So that's big picture. Now let's break this down by looking at the three uh, verses there and say, well, all right, well, what practically does wisdom look like? What does it look like to grow in wisdom or to grow in knowledge? Look at verse 15. This is practically what wisdom is before we talk about how you get it. Look at uh, verse 15. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. That verse starts with this word, look. Verse 15 says, look. What is Paul saying? Look. And look very carefully. Take a real good look at your life. What does it look like to grow in wisdom? It means that you're growing in self-awareness. You're growing in self-awareness. Look very carefully then at how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. That word look there is a command. Look then very carefully at your life. It's a command to carefully look over your life and bear down and pay attention to how you're living. Now, let me get real practical here. There are three basic ways that we human beings respond to distress when life is hard. Some of us have a tendency to respond in anger. Some of us, when life is hard, we get sad. Some of us, when life gets hard, we get anxious. Think about that. Now, I can do two of those three pretty well. Uh, Anger is the most obvious expression of struggle when I'm experiencing distress, but underneath it oftentimes is anxiety, worry. But ask yourself this morning as you look at your life, what do I tend to get angry about? When do I get angry? What do I tend to get sad about? What's going on when I'm sad? What do I tend to worry about? What's going on when I'm worrying? And then inevitably, if you don't deal with those issues in a way that that Scripture provides, what you will do is you will tend to then self-medicate. That's where addiction comes in. And it doesn't have to be alcohol. It doesn't have to be some illegal, illicit drug. It can be shopping. It can be eating a whole bag of potato chips. It can be fixating on the TV and just zoning out. There are a lot of ways that we can do addictive behaviors. And they all kind of... Uh, work the same way in the brain. They release dopamine and it feels good. And so addiction ultimately is maximizing pleasure over pain. See that? So what do you tend to do? I, I, can, I can do uh, uh, anxiety and anger 
And there are different ways that I can check out when life gets hard. I'm still struggling and growing as a Christian, as you are, right? But that's what you're wanting to do. You're wanting to pay attention to your life and ask yourself, when I'm sad, when I'm anxious, when I'm angry, what's going on? Why am I doing this? And that's ultimately what my book, Unstuck, is all about. How do you look at that and then grow in grace? But those are the things that you want to be looking for. And then where do I go when life gets hard to find comfort? Okay, there are good places to run for refuge and comfort. There are bad places to run. And we all struggle with those. Let me just give you an illustration out of my own life. Um, When we lived in Clemson, South Carolina... Um, I was a pastor. And uh, one of the things that I really love is I love doing yard work. It's very therapeutic. It it really helps me kind of, you know, relax, focus on other things. And uh, one of the things uh, particularly that I like about doing yard work is grass. I love a nice, green, even, smooth, lush, green yard. I love it. I look out at that green yard and I think, heaven has come to earth already. (laughs) It is a place of deep comfort for me. Now, unfortunately, I had two dogs. All right, you know where this is going, right? Okay. One was a beagle and the other was a lab. All right. Now, in South Carolina, I don't know what it's like here, but we have moles. And they burrow under the grass because they like to eat the, the, the root system of the grass. It's sweet. It's tasty. And so those little creatures would burrow through the, 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 just underneath the surface. And I could sometimes kind of see the little, you know, trail that they were, they were making underneath the soil. And I would just bristle. And then I would see the beagle go out there. And guess what beagles love to do? They're hunting dogs, right? Man, they get a scent of a possum, a squirrel, or a mole under the ground, and guess what they do? They take their little tiny hands, you know, their paws, and they start digging to try to get that mole under the soil so that it can, you know, kill it. Then guess what the lab does? The lab says, man, this looks like fun. I think I'll join in. And the lab comes in and with its big paws just begins to excavate. And I'm sitting in my family room looking out at my wonderful manicured yard and I'm seeing it just being destroyed. And guess what's happening to me? I'm getting angry. I'm getting irritated. You are disrupting my kingdom and I don't like it. And that, that irritation and that, that mild sense of anger would spill over into my interactions with my wife and my kids. And I'd just get irritated about anything and everything. And I stopped and I started thinking, wait a minute. What is going on here? Tim, why are you getting angry? You know, and I, I, I started saying, are there other areas in my life where I get irritated and angry? And, and I said, yeah, you know, the last time the the leaders of the church met with me and I had an idea and they weren't as smart as I was, (laughs) right? I would get angry. You know, surely as smart as you are, you'll agree with me. 
And I, I began to see these, these pockets and these places and areas in my life where I struggled with mild irritation and anger. And, and it, it, was, it was pervasive. And I, I had to say, my goodness, what am I going to do about that? Now, I still struggle with that. Um, but it is an area in my life where I have grown in knowledge. I have grown in self-awareness. Uh, to understand that, that there are things that, that can tweak my sense of control and comfort and having everything in its place. And whenever I see that mild irritation and anger, occasionally it's an opportunity for me to say, God, help me. Right? It's self-awareness. I'm growing in knowledge of my own struggles. And not only that, I'm growing in my ongoing knowledge of my need of grace. I've been a Christian almost 40 years now. I need God's grace right now as much as I did 40 years ago when I first became a Christian. That's one thing, by the way, you never wean yourself from. It's a good thing to be dependent on God. It's a good thing to be humble. It's a good thing to live in an ongoing state of gratitude for what Jesus has done for you, but not only that, what he continues to do for you. So there's, there's one thing. There's this, this ability to look inward in a, in a healthy way and assess your life, growing in self-awareness. But look at this other thing. He says, he says, secondly, in verse 16, make the most of your time because the days are evil. What, what does that mean? Making the most of every opportunity. This is where you're not moving inward, but you're moving outward. All right? Growing in your knowledge of what does it look like for you to move out in ministry in light of the opportunities that God has given you, redeeming the time, literally buying back the time. As you go about your life in this in-between time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, use it to its fullness in terms of ev evidencing the grace of Christ in your life and to others. Think about that. How many years do you and I have? Not that many. I remember when I was 25. And I'm about to hit 60. And it went like that. You know what? And it took me until my 40s, late 40s, to figure some of this stuff out. We don't have a whole lot of time. And so if you're sitting here this morning, you think, you know, I'm just going to live forever. You're not. You're not going to live forever. And, and that, that span of time is very, very brief. Paul says it's like a blade of grass that shoots up in the morning, and it's, it's nice and healthy, and by mid-afternoon, it's gone because the sun has dried it up. He says we're like a vapor. You and I don't have a whole lot of time. And what, what Paul is saying here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he's saying, look, you need to realize that your time is short and you want to make the most of that time. You want to make the most of every opportunity. You want to use every moment of your life in a way that will enable you to evidence the grace of Christ in your own life so that others will see that. Now, let me nuance that some. I don't think that when Paul says redeem the time that he's saying that you should just get really, really frenetically busy and just do everything. Sign up for 32 small groups, go on 80 mission trips, you know, come to church even when it's not open. That, that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying to unwisely fill your life with all these spiritual activities. In fact, that could be a distraction. It could keep you from moving into the lives of other people. 
Uh, it's more nuanced than this. And I, I want to I nuance it in two ways as we think about what does it mean to redeem the time, to buy up the time. The first thing I want you to understand is this look, what does it look like? It means that you are, rede- excuse me, redeeming the time as you see your life in light of your, what the Puritans called your several callings. Well, what does that mean? Make the most of every area of your life where God has placed you. And these are seasons of life and callings of life. Are you single? Are you married? Those are two very different seasons of life, and they call for two different sets of priorities in terms of how you spend your time. When I was single, I could do this. When I got married and I had children, there's a whole different season of life, and so I had to change my focus. Are you a husband, a wife, a parent, a child, a friend, employer, employee? Are you in college? Are you uh, a student? Are you retired? Are you a grandparent? See, all of these are different callings and seasons that we all go through in our lives. And so one of the ways that we think about redeeming the time is we say, all right, what is my season of life? What season of life am I in? My wife and I are barely empty nesters. Our youngest is 21. And we've been in a season of life as our children have grown and as they've left the home. And now we're moving into, with each child moving out and be, uh, getting married and having their own children, we're, we're moving into a new season of life. What season of life are you in? And are you taking every opportunity to make the most of that opportunity in that season? That's important. Why? Because here's the tendency. You can live with this If I can just get through this season of life, then things will be better. I used to think that. Single. Man, if I could just get married. And then you get married and all of a sudden you realize, even in a great marriage, there are new challenges that now are upon you in a way that you didn't have when you were single. And then you're thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great to have children? And then that first child comes along and there's this sense of joy. And then all of a sudden, oh no, I have to get up in the morning based on what they want, not what I want. I have to get up in the middle of the night based on what they need, not what I want or need. Your entire schedule changes. You know, and I remember thinking this, I cannot wait until I'm out of the season of diapers. (laughs) We were in diapers, not me and my wife. For 10 years, right? That is a season of life. And God says, make the most of that season. Don't just try to get through it. Then I say, if I could just get through the, the, the season of diapers. And then uh, all of a sudden they're out of diapers and they're walking. Oh no, now they're, they're not just walking. Now they're, they're you know, going to school and, and there are all kinds of challenges that are uh, happening in that season of life. And then you're like, okay, now they're through with school and they're going off to college. Oh, great, great. And then you start to get these weird emails from the university saying, we need more money, <laughs> right? So, you, you know, you can just live with this if I can just get through this season of life mentality. And guess what? That will blind you to the opportunities that are present to you in that season. Many, many rich opportunities to engage in, in gospel life with others as you continue to grow in grace. So see yourself within the context of your calling right now. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a grandfather now. Uh, I have work that I'm responsible 
for. I'm a citizen of a particular country. These are all the various callings. And what God wants me to do is he wants me to live a balanced life so that I am honoring him across those callings based on the season of life I'm in. Does that make sense? So that's what it means to redeem the time. It doesn't mean that you do all this so-called spiritual stuff. No, it's, it means that you get engaged in life where you are called to live it and you bring the power of the gospel in your own life and in those, in those places. The second thing that I think this means is that you seize the little moments of life, those micro moments. You see, it's the micro moments of life where the real battles are being fought. You have this big war, but you have all these little skirmishes and battles along the way. And if you don't win the skirmishes and the battles, you're going to lose the war. So you need to focus on those micro moments in your life. Do you know that 95% of your life is boring and mundane? <laughs> right? Think about the last week. You, know, you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you brush your teeth, put your clothes on, you go to work, you do whatever God has called you to do in that season. You finish that, you come home, you eat some dinner. Brush your teeth, put your, get a shower, put your pajamas on, go to bed, get up and do that again. That's where most of us live life. You know, very few of us are going to be famous. Um, and, and, you know, you don't, you don't wait to those, those big moments where, you know, I'm going to write a $10,000 check one day to this mission trip. Or I'm going to go on this big mission trip. It's those little micro moments of daily life. The mundane moments of your life are where change happens or doesn't. Let me give an example, okay? This is, this is nuancing just for a moment here. What does it mean to redeem the time? Look at your life within the context of what God has called you to do right now, your season of life. Also, focus on the micro moments of your life. Let me give you an example from marriage. All right, you can take this and apply it to any area of your life. Imagine this. A couple is um, not getting along because they just had an argument that morning. Now, that never happens to me and my wife. We're, we're in this complete state of sanctification, or she is, I'm not, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I've, I've helped her get there faster. Um, you, know, you, you, have a, you have a hard conversation, you get into an argument, there's a misunderstanding, and, and that night, the husband and wife are on the sofa sitting next to one another, and this is what it looks like to redeem the time, all right? And either spouse can do this. Here's what the husband does. does. Watch this, men. Wives, you will appreciate this, all right? Here's what the husband does. In this, this little micro moment, they're just sitting, staring at the TV. They're really not interacting. The husband can redeem the time in this micro moment by doing this. Watch. You ready? Pay attention. What does that say? Didn't, didn't say a word. What did the husband say to the wife? Or if the wife does it to the husband, put your arm around your spouse. Hey. I do care about you. I'm committed to you. I want us to work this out. You matter to me. I'm going to continue to move towards you. Now, the reason that's important, and think about this, you can apply it to any area in your life. Imagine a couple who's not doing that in the first few weeks of their marriage. Not a big deal, right? Look at year 20 in a marriage. One couple that's practicing this, albeit imperfectly, but they're practicing this by God's grace. Another couple, they're not. In 20 years, you have two completely different marriages. Do you know that uh, the food you eat 
The food that we ingest really doesn't show up in terms of its impact for 20 years. So all those little tiny morsels that you're putting into your body ultimately add up over 20 years and they matter. So it's the micro moments and we're missing them. That moment where you're tempted to want to get irritated with one of your kids and God says, no, be patient. And they may not even notice that you're struggling to be patient, but it matters. It's those little moments. I'm tempted to want to assuage my pain and I'm going to go buy this product that's going to help me feel good. No, that's a micro moment where you say, no, I'm going to say no by God's grace. It's those micro moments that matter. And then Paul says, do this because the days are evil. See that? So it's seasons of life, micro moments, why the days are evil. When you and I got up this morning, you didn't get up in peacetime. It's war. And there's a war for your soul that's raging, for your marriage, if you're married, for your personal life. There is a war raging every single moment of every single day when you get up in the morning. We do not live in peacetime. And that war is the evil one. And he would love to sift you. He would love to sift you like wheat. He would love to destroy you. And you have to get up every morning and do what Jesus says. Be watchful and prayerful, vigilant. I need to be reminded of that. So that's what it looks like, secondly, to grow in knowledge, to grow in wisdom. There's self-awareness. You're looking inward. Where do I need to grow? What are my ongoing struggles? How does that happen? Secondly, looking outward. How does God want me to bless and serve others? And then look at this third one quickly here before we finish with how do you get wisdom. The, the third one is, is <clears throat> this ongoing desire for holiness, and I would call it an ongoing desire for and a commitment to dependency on God's grace. Look what uh, Paul says. He says in verse 17, uh, do not be foolish, but then understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean? What Understand the Lord's will. Uh, I used to think that this meant, you know, God's going to drop something down from heaven and give me this information that I need for this particular decision. And that's not at all what's going on here. It's not necessarily getting this special revelation, you know, who should I marry? Uh, what house should I buy? Et cetera, et cetera. What job should I take? No, it, it's more along these lines. Listen to what uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It is God's will for you, what? To be holy. Okay, Paul, I thought you were going to help me. That doesn't help me. It is God's will for you to be sanctified. Paul says in Ephesians 1.4, you were chosen in Christ to be holy. What does it mean to understand what the Lord's will is? It means that you go with his explicit revealed will. So this afternoon, go home and read Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6, and that will give you enough to keep you busy for a lifetime. Here's what God's explicit will for you is and what it looks like to be holy, to grow in grace, um, to be a parent, to be a child, to be an employer, to be an employee, to live life in a broken, fallen world. This is what it looks like, and, and God has given you all the information you need. And so when you do that, when you're focusing on the obvious, 
here's God's revealed will that I'm to grow in grace and this is what, is it, what it's to look like. Then when it comes to deciding who you're going to marry and if you're going to take this job or if you're going to buy this house, you will be governed by what I call a sanctified common sense. That will inform how you make those bigger decisions, but it's really focusing on the basics. Read Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 this afternoon, and that will explain to you what it means for you to understand the will of the Lord. That's the will of the Lord for you that grows out of the gospel. Now let me finish with just this final point. How do you get wisdom? How do you get wisdom? Well, you listen and learn. You're humble and teachable. Uh-oh. <laughs> now we're bumping into some more problems, right? Um, what does it look like to listen and learn, to be humble and te- teachable? Wisdom is formed over time, oftentimes through suffering. You know that? I mean, have you noticed that? I've noticed that the wisest people are the people who've been able to listen and learn and to become, remain humble and teachable in the midst of suffering. And when I've asked them questions, they just, they just ooze with, with wisdom, with, with, uh, with an understanding of what it looks like to remain dependent upon God in the, in, in the midst of life, particularly through seasons of suffering. But God uses suffering, and, and that's where we grow in, uh, in wisdom. But, but you, have to, you have to listen and learn when you're going through that season of suffering. You have to become humble and remain humble and teachable. So wisdom is formed over time through suffering. Uh, secondly, wisdom is formed within the context of friendships. Wisdom is contagious. I've, I've, po- I've found different people in my life, and I say, oh, they're wise. I wonder why. And then I start looking at their circle of friends. That's why. Oh, they spend a lot of time with this person and that person and this person, and they're wise people. So another way that you grow in wisdom is that you spend time with other wise people. That's how you grow in wisdom. You're getting good counsel, good advice from them. They're walking alongside of you. So wisdom is formed uh, over time through suffering. That's not automatic. You can be old and bitter, or you can be older and wise and humble and teachable. Wisdom is formed in friendships. But finally, wisdom ultimately is a gift from God. And this is where we're getting back to the gospel, okay? So how do you get wisdom? You got to remain humble and teachable. Um, ultimately, wisdom is a gift from God. M- many of you may know Proverbs 1.7. It says that the beginning of wisdom is when you fear the Lord. And I've heard that verse many, many times. I'm like, well, why would fear induce wisdom? Well, you have to understand what fear is there. In Psalm 130, chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, Lord, because, of, because there is forgiveness with you, you are to be feared. See that? It's God's forgiveness that leads us to fear him. And that's a healthy fear. It's an awe, a reverence. So as you're going through your seasons of life, you're remaining humble and teachable. Why? Because I know deep down that God loves me because because he has forgiven me. And so I'm going to continue to reverence him. I'm going to remain in awe in him. And I'm going to continue to listen and learn from him. Can I finish today with just an illustration in terms of what it looks like to remain humble and teachable before the Lord as you're going about daily life? I'll finish with this illustration. Uh, When I was a a little boy, my dad was in the Marine Corps. 
And so that meant that we moved a lot. And on one occasion, we were moving across country. I believe we were headed to Camp Pendleton in California, which you all may know where it is, just over there near uh, uh, San Diego. We were traveling from Georgia all the way across the country. This was in the 60s. Um, we were in a really tacky green opal that my dad loved and was proud of. Didn't have any air conditioning. And I was just a little boy, and I kept asking my dad, 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 when are we going to get there? Dad, Dad, when are we going to get there? And my dad, he was about a 6'2 Marine, and he would look back and say, Son, he was a Southern gentleman. He'd say, Now, son, a lot like the father in Proverbs. Son, listen to me. He'd say, Listen to me. We're not there yet. When we start to get close, I'll let you know. Dad, 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 I, I'm, I'm so hot. When we get there, can we jump in the pool? Can we, can we go swimming? Son, now listen to me. When we get there, I want you to wait for me because I want to remind you, son, that you can't swim. <laughs> very, very explicit, right? No pulling any punches. So when we get there, I want you to wait for me. Okay, all right, dad, dad, when are we going to get there? Dad, dad, son, now listen to me. See, that, that's, that's a father. That's a good father speaking to a son. Son, I want you to grow in wisdom. Listen to me. Be humble, be teachable. I know better than you. Well, we get to this uh, hotel, and I'm able to get somehow to the room, get my bathing suit on, and I make a beeline for the swimming pool. I jump, in the di uh, the, I jump in the deep end, and I sink. It's not one time up, one time up, you know, three times up. It's just sinking. I'm sinking in the deep end. All right, I'm going down. And I remember just seeing this, this big kind of splash above me. And guess who it was? It was my father. And what was he doing? He was jumping in. And then I remember his big hands grabbing me and pulling me up out of the water and setting me on the side of the pool. And guess what I said? Dad, I don't think I can swim. <laughs> I know that now because of my own folly. But because you rescued me, will you teach me? I want to listen and learn now. That's a picture of the gospel. What has Jesus done? He didn't just jump in a pool with his civilian clothes on and rescue you out of a swimming pool. No, he entered into this world and he got bloody and he died and he was risen, of course, but, but he incarnated and he suffered and he died so that he could rescue you and me, not out of potentially drowning, but rescue you and me out of death itself, spiritual death and ultimately physical death. And he, he comes in and he lifts us up. And as the psalmist says, what does he do? He places us on a rock and he puts a new song in our mouths, a song of gratitude and so as we, as we think about what it looks like to grow in knowledge, to grow in wisdom, it's the gospel that moves us there. If you don't think you have anything to learn, and if you don't think you need to listen, you're not going to grow in wisdom. You're not going to grow in knowledge. But if you do know that you have a lot to learn, that you're foolish by nature, we all are, and we have a lot to learn, guess what? God says, that's the kind of tender heart that I can instruct. And that's what he wants from us this morning. So as you think about adding to your faith knowledge, that's what it looks like in part. Growing in wisdom, self-awareness, other awareness, and this is ongoing uh, uh, gospel awareness, knowing that you need God's grace. All right, let's pray as we close. Father, thank you for these folks and for
what you're doing in their midst. Just listen to Matt and Peter talk about the, the power of the gospel on display in the lives of folks here. I pray that that would continue. Lord, wherever someone is, they, there may be people here and they're not Christians and they're trying to figure out what all this looks like. And I, I pray that, that would be a, uh, this would be a place where they could answer questions for those who are struggling, those who have found themselves in a better place spiritually and they've, they, they're finding themselves in a, a more difficult spot. Lord, would you encourage them this morning as they gather with us, as they listen to your word? And above all, help us to remain teachable and humble as we reflect upon and, uh, and embrace your great love for us in Christ, the grace that you have shown to us in Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dr. Lang, for being here.